Testament reading is Psalm 66, verses 8 through 20. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips have promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in the history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Um, when I think about Paul uh, preaching at the Areopagus in this passage, I, I kind of wonder if he was nervous. Um, you know, I'm always nervous before I speak, and I've heard from others that that never goes away. I like to imagine Paul asking for a little bit of water because his mouth was so dry, or maybe throwing up behind a pillar. No, probably not. But however he felt, I'm sure he felt, thought he had a great opportunity. He got to preach the gospel, not just to the Greeks, but to the elders of Athens, the intellectual elite in an intellectual city, those who spent their days discussing and debating the law, philosophy, politics. What would you say if you were there? Paul starts by saying he's noted his surroundings. He says, 
I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. He says to them, I see that in every way you are very religious. It's pretty impressive that he can name that common ground. The Jewish and Christian religions are both adamantly monotheistic. There is one God, no others besides Yahweh, no room for two when one fills the whole cosmos. For all of Paul's life, faithfulness has been about breaking down idols. And just a few verses earlier, it says that he was greatly distressed to see that Athens was full of them. In the altar, to an unknown god, though, Paul sees a hint of dissatisfaction. With all the gods of the pantheon, still it was not enough. He saw in that altar a longing for something more. We all long for God. And we, too, <laughs> we often also choose idols instead. And Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. We can make an idol out of anything. As long as it seems like it might offer what we need and maybe be a little less troublesome than the living God. Idols are a way of reducing God, trying to fit a great mystery into something that we can control, manipulate, hold. Bits of wood and metal and stone that, like it says in Deuteronomy 4, cannot see or hear or smell. And yet we offer them our devotion. And idols can only be as demanding as we imagine them to be. They seem much easier to, hold, to handle and to control. And that's because they're dead. But idols never do anything unexpected. Unlike the God of the universe, who turns up in a burning bush and a gentle whisper and then in the voice of a donkey. The God of the universe, who sometimes speaks from clouds and then sometimes goes silent and lets us wander the desert alone. The God of the universe who calls us to feast and also asks us to pick up our own crosses. Our God will not be buttoned down, but we sure try. Like the Israelites waiting for Moses to come down the mountain to tell them what God had said, they had been too fearful to hear from God themselves, so they had sent Moses on his own. But then Moses took so long to come back with the message. God was at, much, <laughs> at once too much for them, and too little. And so they melted their gold into a calf, something a little less scary to worship, something more accessible. We're not immune to that temptation, and our pantheon consists of cash and credit cards, nice houses full of nice things, the idols of comfort and whiteness and straightness, Idols in the form of degrees hanging on our walls and promotions and accolades. Idols like hearts and laughs and, and likes on our social media posts. We check and check and check again to see how many now. Is it enough? When will it feel like enough? And even in our city full of idols, we still long for something more too. We all long for God because we were all made for God. We were made for full and uninterrupted communion with our God. But sin has disordered our affections. Our desires have lost their sense of direction. And so we fixate on our idols. We try to squeeze life out of stone. Like that famous quote, any man knocking on the door of the brothel is looking for God. 
that the good news of this passage, in the words of the commentator Willie James Jennings, the good news is this, our God desires those who desire idols. Our God desires those who desire idols. Paul sees the Athenians longing for more, and he says to them, I see your altar to the unknown God. Let me tell you who that God is. My God, he says, is more, more, more than you could ever imagine more than you could ever fashion with your own hands, whether it was an idol to frame it or a temple to contain it, it will never hold Yahweh. This is the God who is always greater than we can imagine, always greater than we think. That thrum of life that you sense, the one that made everything you see, and the one that keeps it going, the one whose fingerprints are on every bit of beauty and every human face. And when a new truth hits you in the gut, that belongs to God. And when you are shaken by a deep and residing goodness, that too is from God. All of history belongs to this God, every nation in God's hands. This is the King of all of the kings and the Lord of all of the lords. You are who you are, when and where you are because of the God that you do not know yet. And here Paul quotes a poet, in him we live and move and have our being. Even more than a baby lives and moves and has its being in, our, in its mother's womb, even more than that, God is closer to us, says Augustine, than we are to ourselves. But there is more, this unknown God can be known. This God of the universe is not an it, but a who. An idol may be easy to see, easy to grasp, but there is nothing there, nothing to know. It cannot hear your prayers or answer you in return. It cannot see your joy or suffering, let alone enter into them. It is dead. But my God lives and longs for you. Seek him reach out for him, find him. Paul says he is not far from any one of us. The God who moves the world, the God who holds it all together, this God is also just. Not like Zeus or Hera or Ares who war with one another and with humans who are fickle and changing, this God is just and good. This God will not change like the shifting shadows, but will bring goodness to bear on the earth, all evil and darkness upturned as things are set right. Your idols cannot change this world. They are products of the world and limited by it. They cannot bring any life, not a spark of light. But the one you worship as the unknown God the one who is the only true God calls you to return. This God is gracious and will receive you again. God desires those who desire idols. And if you need proof of all of this, look to the one God appointed. Look at Jesus. And Paul doesn't get into the finer points of Trinitarian theology or even the atonement, but we know that that one is also God's own self, taken on flesh, 
Look to Jesus, he says, who is the living, breathing image of the invisible God resurrected from the dead. This unknown God cannot be imaged by stone or metal, but only in living, breathing flesh. And even when people tried to steal that life from him, it could not be kept at bay, and he was raised again, raised to new life, resurrected. Because this is the God who will bring life to all that is dead. And when Paul had finished speaking, some sneered and some said, please tell us more. Please pray with me. Lord, tell us more. We who so easily turn to idols, who are so easily swayed by lovers less wild, Lord, help us to always return again to you. The living God. In whom we live and move and have our being. Who made all life and sustains it. Lord, may we learn to know you you are always greater than we imagine. So there is always more to know. Lord, may we know something of that union we were made for. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning, we are going to do something a little strange. Uh, we're going to end our service in the middle of the video, or rather, the video is going to end in the middle of the service. That's more true. Um, and we're going to go into Zoom and uh, take communion. So for those of you who've been in the Zoom uh, coffee hours before, it's exactly like that. If you've never been, you can check your email, or I think we'll put a slide up after this um, for the link to click to get into Zoom. And then um, maybe we'll wait a few minutes for people to show up, but then we will practice our union with Christ, and we will celebrate communion together. And I'll also do a benediction after that. <clears throat>